I'll get you to open to Philippians 1. Philippians chapter 1. I don't normally give my sermons a title um, before I preach. Uh, that's normally something that, um, that Ruan has to chase me up for uh, during the week. <laughs> Adele's laughing because she knows um, the pain that Ruan uh, has chasing me up every time I preach for a, a sermon title and description. And, you know, often, well, just, just call it something. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but um, but uh, this morning, this morning... I have given, I have given this, uh, this sermon a title, and uh, Ruan, write this down, okay? <laughs> In troubled times, look for what God is doing. In troubled times, look for what God is doing. So I trust by now you're, you're all in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 12 uh, through to verse 20. It says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me, to tr cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by my life or by my death. So, the situation that Paul is in at the moment is he is in jail, as you probably gathered from, gathered from uh, what he's saying there. Paul's been arrested. Uh, he is sitting in jail. Now, like today, jail, even back then, was a shameful thing. Good people don't go to jail. That's kind of a standard rule. You kind of assume that if somebody's in jail, they probably did something to get there. You know, yes, there are the occasional stories of people who were unjustly tried, unjustly put in jail for things they didn't do. Those things happen. But for the most part, we assume that if somebody's in jail, it's because they did the wrong thing. And, and jail carries the, a certain level of shame or embarrassment about it. There was no different in the ancient world. And what had happened was, what had happened was, is Paul... Paul is out there preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, that, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that, that Caesar is not the true Lord, but it is this Jesus of Nazareth who is Lord, even over the Roman Empire, even over all the cosmos. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we bow the knee to Him and not to you, Caesar. And well, you know, doing that back in that day would land you in prison. So Paul's in prison, and some of the Christians, some of the Christians at the time, they hear this, well, Paul's in prison now. 
You know, we, we, from, we from our 21st century Christian perspective that had the Bible for so long and, you know, we're championing Paul and, you know, we know who he is. You know, we've got the book. We've seen the end, all right? We know what happens in his story, right? But imagine you're in the first century. This whole Jesus movement is a new thing and all of a sudden one of the leaders of this Jesus movement is he's in jail. Well, that's not a good sign for your movement. You know, the leader of this thing's in jail. There were Christians who were embarrassed. There's Christians who are embarrassed and, and, and ashamed that Paul was in jail. But Paul writes, well, Paul writes to the Philippians, he's like, I want you guys to know, brothers and sisters, that what's actually happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Now, Paul wants them to know that even though he has been put in jail, even though this adversity has come upon him, that it's going to be all right because God's in it. Even though he's in jail, God's still working. Look, I've been able to witness to the entire imperial guard. Look, they know that I'm in here because of Christ. They've been able to hear the name of Christ because I've been put in here. Look at this opportunity that's been placed before me on account of this. And it's been an encouragement, an encouragement to many brothers there in Rome as well. It's been an encouragement to them. For one, when somebody takes a bold stand for Jesus, when somebody takes a bold stand for Christ, it has this emboldening effect on those around them. When one person takes a stand, it encourages and strengthens other people to take a stand. But even more than that, the brothers would have, would have been able to see, they would have heard this story as well. They would have known, well, man, Paul's wound up in prison. God has plucked him up from the street and put him put him in jail, and by putting him in jail, he's actually given him access to those soldiers, those guards who actually work all throughout Rome. Man, God is doing good things. God is doing good things. And Paul wants the Philippian church to know that God is doing good things despite the fact that he's in prison. He wants them to be emboldened as well, not to be ashamed, he says there in verse 20, I hope that I will never be ashamed. I, I hope that I prove never to be ashamed of what I believe because of Jesus Christ. I want you to be able to see what God is doing in my situation, the opportunities, the doors that God has opened because of my imprisonment. Be encouraged and be emboldened because of it. That's what's, that's what's happening in this text. Now, Paul also wants to give a word of warning in this, is that even when, even, uh, when you are bold for the Lord you are going to face opposition. When you're bold for the Lord, you're going to face opposition. That's why he's in jail. He's in jail because of the opposition that come against him. The opposition not only from the outside, but also from the inside of the church. Now notice here what he talks about. He talks about here, he says, to be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but some others out of goodwill. I, to be honest with you, I have tried many times to kind of try and get into the mindset of what is going on in that church, right? Maybe, maybe it's a cultural thing that I'm missing, right? I understand, I understand what he's saying, that people are preaching Jesus in order to make things harder for, thing, for him in jail. I, <laughs> that's the thing that got him in jail in the first place. And, and these guys are emboldened to go out and preach Jesus to mess with Paul, I, I, I don't understand that. I don't understand, honestly, hand on heart, I don't understand how that sort of works, how people kind of come to that sort of position that, you know what, you, you know what, Paul, Paul's an embarrassment. We didn't like him in the first place. 
So you know what we're going to do? We're going to go out and do the exact same thing he did to mess with him. I don't understand that. But what I do understand, what I do understand is that whenever you take a bold stand for what God is doing, whenever you take a bold stand for Christ, you stand on the testimony of his word, you stand up and you preach righteousness, you stand up and you say, I am no longer going to live according to the ways of this world. I am going to follow Jesus. I am going to be led by his Holy Spirit. I am going to do what he wants me to do. You're going to face opposition, yes, from the world, but also from within Brothers and sisters, sometimes from those who don't quite understand what's going on, and sometimes from people who are malicious. I, I, again, did I say I don't understand how they arrived at this place, that going out and sharing the word of Jesus Christ as a tactic against Paul? I, I still don't understand that. But it happens. It happens. So what do I want, what do I want us to actually to, to glean from this passage this morning? is I want you, for the sake of your mental sanity, learn to be optimistic about the world. Learn to be optimistic about the world. In troubling times, learn to be optimistic about what God is doing. Don't always assume that just because there's trouble, there's calamity, there's trials, there's adversity that God has stopped somehow being at work in the world. As Christians, quite often we can get bogged down. Many Christians in this last season have gotten bogged down. It, it, it is inevitable. Even those, even those who are of good, sound, mental strength, right? 18 months, 18 months of shifting goalposts, 18 months of changing conditions, 18 months of fear and uncertainty, constantly being pumped out in the news, 18 months of this ongoing process, it begins to wear on you. It begins to wear on you. I described it like, like this to somebody the other day. It's like Japanese water torture. And if you're not familiar with this particular torture technique, what it is is they strap you down to a board and they set a slow drip of water to drip onto your forehead. And you're like, whoa, okay, rough stuff, you know? You know, those are real, real tough guys. You know? <laughs> what you don't realize is that what starts off is just a little, little splash. Your nerve endings start beginning really sensitive after a while. And after time, it feels like you're getting smacked in the head with bricks. And it is an incredibly painful form of torture. Little bits over and over again. And Christians, it does not matter how strong you are mentally, how fit of mind you are, you are not immune to the effects that the world can have on you. You're not immune to those constant dripping the constant dripping of fear, the constant dripping of anxiety, the constant dripping of uncertainty, especially in these last 18 months. What I want you to do is I want you to shift your perspective, and I want you to begin looking for opportunities for what God is doing. Paul could have been depressed about getting imprisoned, and maybe he was. I don't know, he, did, he doesn't write that in his letter, you know. He doesn't write, woe is me. What he wants the Philippian church to know is that in the midst of what's happened to him, God is at work. Look at the ways that he's at work. And so what I would want us to do 
is in the midst of everything that's going on. Stop focusing on everything that's going on and start looking. Ah, and start thinking to yourself, a lot of things are going on. There's a lot of trouble in the world. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of trials that are coming across the earth at the moment. What's God doing? What opportunities is he opening up in this season that wouldn't have been opened up any other way? Begin training your mind to think. Because God's at work. He's never stopped working. Not for one moment. What's he doing? What's he up to? What doors has he opened up that weren't previously open? We need to be optimistic because I believe that God is optimistic. You know, it, it's funny. We were talking about 1 Corinthians 13 at the beginning here. And I remember, I remember like I said, there was one time I was meditating on it. And I got to the end. It's like, love hopes all things and believes all things. I'm like, <clears throat> I don't know. If God's love and he hopes all things and believes all things, sounds like God's probably an optimist. I mean, if you think about it, what kind of God would he have to be to be able to turn all things for good? Certainly not a pessimist. He's not, he's not, he's oh, well, that's a really bad situation. Hmm, yeah, rough. Let's move on to the next. No, he takes all things. He takes evil. He takes wickedness. He takes downright scandalous events in history. He takes the most decrepit and disgusting and corrupt things in the world. And what he does is he takes it and he turns it for good. That is how powerful he is. That is how wise he is. That is how good he is. And he's an optimist because he knows. He knows he can do it. And so if we are to train our minds to be able to see what he is at doing, see what he is doing, to see what his hand is at work at in the earth, we need to train our minds to be optimistic. That no matter how bad things get, no matter how troubling times might be, God is at work turning all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So lift your eyes to him. Lift your eyes to the throne. Lift your eyes to see him and ask him, God, show me your hand in this. Show me your hand in this. Despite what's going on, God, give me an optimistic heart. Give me an, don't let me be troubled. Don't let me be downcast. Show me what you're doing so I can celebrate it, so I can partner with it, so I can join in what you're doing. God, show me the open door that's before me. Show me the prison guard who's standing outside my prison door. I can hit him up and chat to him about Jesus. There's people today in your world who are more open to hearing about Christ than they have ever been in their entire lives because of what's happened in the last 18 months. Instead of being fearful, see how God is preparing His church for a new season. Instead of being trapped worrying about what the government is doing, praise God that He's opening people's eyes to see that the government is not and has never been their Savior. Instead of being concerned that the, grays are, the days are growing darker, lift your eyes and see that what you carry within you is what the world has always needed.
So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters. I want to encourage you, those who are in the Lord, be emboldened. Be emboldened. God is at work. God is at work. There are opportunities that God has placed in your life if you would look up and see them. Opportunities to speak into people's lives. Opportunities to show them love. To show them Jesus. The opportunity to preach the Word. What Word are we talking about? The Word of His Kingdom. The Word of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul got put in prison for. We don't... We are some 2,000 years removed from the ways of thinking of, of first century Jews and first century Romans. All right, but let, let's, let's, try and, let's, try and <clears throat> let's try and get at least take a couple steps towards this so we can get some better understanding of what this message would have been like. Imagine for, for let's, let's contextualize it for us. Imagine that our country had been invaded overnight. And we now had a brand new government in charge. And this brand new government wasn't elected by us. And they were entirely from a different culture that we did not understand. And they we're calling us, they said, you're now going to live according to our, our rules, our laws. Right? We'd be like, man, that's, that's a dramatic shift in life. It's like, life's really going to change for us now that we're under this, this new government. When Paul, well, when Jesus went about preaching the good news of the kingdom, when Paul went out and he taught the good news of the kingdom, this is what they were preaching and they were speaking about. You see, we've been living in this world of darkness. We've been living in this world trapped by sin. We've been living in this world, the principalities and, and, and powers, the kingdom of darkness. We see the corruption in the world. We see the death in the world. We see the, the, the sadness in the world. We see all that is evil and wicked in the world. And, and there's a part in us who longs to be free from all of that. And what Jesus has come, is he, he comes into the world as a conquering king. He comes into the world as a conquering king. He begins healing the sick. He begins healing all those who are oppressed by the enemy. And then he dies on the cross, which is confusing for a lot of people who are expecting a conquering king coming on a, on a white horse. But it is at the cross that he actually conquers the principalities and powers. He conquers sin and death itself. And we see in Jesus, in the cross, we see sin and death. The powers of darkness once and for all conquered and put to death themselves because of what he has done. His victory over sin at the cross. Because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And now, this is what Philippians 2 says, is because he humbled himself even to the point of death and death on a cross. Jesus has been exalted to the name of every name. Now for us, that might lose a lot of its meaning. Oh, so he's famous now? Is this what name above every name means? This is, means he's a, like he's in, this is a governmental title. This is a title of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is a new ruler of the world. And what he has done in his kingdom through his conquering victory through the cross is he now offers forgiveness of sins to all who will come. He is inviting the world to come into his kingdom. As opposed to a government that might invade another country and subjugate a people against their will. Jesus Christ is invading the world and inviting 
people to come and live according to his kingdom ways. Inviting people to come and live in his kingdom. Inviting people to come and to learn to be like him, to live according to his ways. This is the word that was preached. This is the word that you carry, whether you have realized it or not. That when you came to Christ and you became His and you were born again and you were filled by His His Spirit and you became brand new on the inside and He gave you new life, you became part of this kingdom story whether or not you fully understood this or not. (laughs) You became part of it. And what He's inviting you to do, what He's calling on you to do is now as you go into the world, you share the goodness and love of Christ that He has demonstrated to you, and you share it out there to the world. You go show them what you've already seen in Christ. You introduce them to Jesus. You snatch them from the burning. You pull them from their ways of sin, and you, you plead with them. You plead with them to come and to meet Jesus. See, come, taste and see how good He is. Come and see His love. Come and see His goodness. Come and see His grace. You carry within you by the power of His Holy Spirit, the ability to bring His kingdom and to bring life into the world. You carry His hope. That's why it's so important that we remind ourselves to lift our eyes to heaven, to be optimistic. It's because how are you going to carry hope to the world if you, can't, if you, are, you, you yourself are not hopeful? I'm not saying things aren't hard. But we need to learn how to carry his hope. We need to carry his joy. In the midst of people's misery. We need to carry his peace. In the midst of all political division and strife and partisanship and tribalism that's going on. Jesus would say to his people, blessed are the peacemakers. I'd encourage you to learn to walk between the different camps, to learn how to speak their languages, to learn how to introduce them to each other, and introduce them to Jesus along the way. Don't get caught up in tribalism. Be a peacemaker. You carry His love. You carry wholeness and healing. You carry provision. You carry the very salvation that God offers in you to the world. This is our purpose. This is our mission. We as His image bearers. This is what we were always meant to be. When God created us, He gathered us up from the dust and He breathed the breath of life into our lungs. Our purpose was always to represent Him in the earth. To bear His image in the earth and to the earth. To represent God to the earth. And we fell into sin and that was destroyed. That We lost that. We became tainted and twisted by sin. But Christ, when Jesus came, He came to not just forgive us of our sins. He came to not just set us free from our sins and the power of darkness and the kingdom of darkness. He came to restore that what was lost. He came to restore us back to the image bearers we were always meant to be. 
to be his representatives in the earth. And so understand this, when Paul says, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. The way you should be viewing yourself is I don't belong to the kingdoms of this world any longer. I belong to another kingdom of another world, and I represent that kingdom to this world. Let that reality shape your life. I don't belong to this world anymore. I don't live according to its ways and its customs anymore. I live according to the ways and customs of my people, the kingdom of heaven. Our king is Jesus. We live according to his ways. We look like him. If he says go, we go. If he says come, we come. If he says do this thing, we do this thing. Because we know he is good and we know that all of his commands are good. And we in turn, as ambassadors of Christ, bring his goodness to the world. We introduce people to his goodness in the world. Not only through our good deeds, but through the preaching, the telling of the story. The testimony. This is why we have testimonies. Because we testify to the world of his goodness. We testify to the world of what he's done through the cross. We testify to the world of his love. And this world is more ripe than ever. More ripe than ever for a harvest. People would be more open today because of what's been happening in the last... People are more unsettled today. People are in more need of peace today. They're in more need of hope. They're in more need of joy. They're in more need of love. They're in more need of a helping hand. They're in more need of Jesus today than they were 18 months ago. Look up and see the open door. Look up and see the fields are ripe for harvest. In the midst of these troubling times, look for what God is doing. Each and every single one of you has a circle of influence. People that God has placed you near and has placed them near you. He's done it for a reason. He's done it for a reason. He trusts you with them. Let me get the music team back. Paul says in verse 20, he says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by my life or by my death. I want to encourage you to take up that verse and to meditate on that this week. Is that you would live your life before God in a way that you wouldn't be ashamed of that you would be able to look at every single situation, no matter how much adversity comes your way, and be able to say, in each and every single situation, I looked for what the Lord was doing. I knew His salvation was around the corner. I knew His hand was at work. And I saw it when it came, because I was looking. 
My prayer for you is that, is that you would resolve within yourself if you've never reached this place of resolution before, that whether by your life or by your death, Christ would be honored by you. There, there's, there's, a, there's a beautiful freedom in surrender. People are often afraid, afraid of surrendering themselves to, to, to people, to, to submit themselves to people or, or, <clears throat> or anything like that. We, we like to enjoy a, a sense of autonomy. I get to have a say over what happens in my life. And in this world, that, that's, that's very understandable. There's a lot of people who would seek to take advantage, who would seek to subjugate and enslave people. The beautiful thing about Jesus is that he's not like that. Slavery to Jesus is the most free thing in the world. It's the most freeing thing in the world. To have given your life fully over to Him is the most free you will ever be. And honestly, <clears throat> it's kind of hard to explain until you've experienced it. To experience that freedom from sin. Sin is an awful master. An awful master. But Jesus is good. And his love is good. And it's freeing. It's so freeing. You've never known freedom until you've been free in him. So I just want you to stand. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come forward. as we do. We're going to worship him because he's good. We're going to worship him because of his love. We're going to worship him because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the one who's worthy of all praise and all worship and all adoration. Everything we have, we can never give him enough to properly honor all of who he is. And he is still so wonderful and gracious and merciful to his people. And he loves us so much. So we're going to worship him. I also want to invite you if, you, if you need prayer for anything, if you need prayer for anything at all, if you recognize maybe from Jeannie's testimony or something that's been said today that you're storing up unforgiveness in your heart, you're storing up bitterness in your heart, I want to encourage you to let it go. And if you're struggling to let it go, go and receive prayer. If you're struggling on your own to give it over to the Lord, go and receive prayer. If there's brokenness or sickness in your body, please go and receive prayer. If there's brokenness in your family or there's a relational breakdown somewhere, go and receive prayer. God works through the prayers of his people. And sometimes we just need someone to stand with us when we don't have enough faith to stand for ourselves. But as well, if you want to give your life to the Lord, if you want to give your life to the Lord this morning, if you want to surrender to Him, then I would encourage you to go and receive prayer and talk to the person who's praying for you. You tell them the decision that you've made. Now you ask them to pray and what they should do next. What you should do next, sorry. 
God's arms stand open, ready to embrace you, ready to liberate you, ready to free you from your sin, ready to forgive you. But you got to come. You got to give your life to Him. So I'm going to pray and we're going to worship. So, Lord, I pray that you would be exalted on the throne of our hearts. That as we follow you, as we, as we learn your ways more and more, you would teach us. You would teach us of your goodness. And we would learn to love goodness. That anything less than your goodness, anything less than your perfect love, would be distasteful in our mouth. Lord, I pray you'd be liberating us this morning from the shackles that hold us back. You'd be liberating us from past hurts and past wounds. You'd be liberating us from sin. And God, that you would receive whole worship from us this morning. Amen.